Sharon, the season of Christmas and giving is upon us again. Yes, it is, and it keeps coming around quicker and quicker. It certainly does, and during this giving season, you and I and our listeners have an opportunity to give two ways at once. As many of you know, Sharon and I support the ANA Foundation, and I currently serve on their board. The Foundation is a charitable organization devoted to anesthesia research, education, and development. All of which are very important to our profession. That's exactly right, Sharon, and it's the very reason to donate. However, we wanted to let you know that you can give to the Foundation during this season in someone's honor as a tribute, or if you've lost a loved one, a donation in their memory. The Foundation will send a card to the family letting them know that you've done this. What a lovely way to memorialize someone. You know, I will be donating in memory of my precious granddaughter, Emma Kate Brick, and that we lost this year. Also, as we're taping this, we found out we lost an icon to this profession. Patrick Downey, a former AANA president. Another way to memorialize him is to donate to the foundation. Yes, Sharon, and I really hate we didn't get an opportunity to have Patrick on the podcast. That was always our plan. It's just so sad. If you'd like to donate, just go to the ANA Foundation within the AANA website under Ways to Give and Donate in Tribute or in Memory and help your profession. Thanks so much, and Merry Christmas from myself and Jeremy. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. All right, Sharon, back at it again. Yes, we are. Yeah, Another we podcast a, blitz. Yeah, we'll call it a marathon. Yeah. Yeah, we're I like it. it. I In like Asheville, it. So, North Carolina. And we're all together, socially wow. distanced, you know, yeah. masked up some of the times. And, mm-hmm. you know, me getting over the COVID, what, uh, about uh, 10 days ago now. So, you know, hopefully my antibodies are still beefed up and 
ready to roll. Something's beefed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Well, it's great being together. It's great being back in the, the podcast booth, per se, and, and doing these live. There's just something about doing them with people instead of doing it with the computer in front of you. Oh, you know? my gosh. You're you're not kidding. And NCANA has always been very good to us and yes. give us a room to And to SCANA. Tape in. Yes. yes this is to, a dual meeting. Yes. Give us a room to tape in. And so yeah. we've got lots of good content that will be pushed out. Yeah. So it's great. So we have a special guest today. You want to You want to introduce? We do. Well, let me tell you, he's got a bigger accent than I do. He does. <laughs> he does. In a different way. But, uh, it's only yeah. good. <laughs> I think they'll enjoy hearing his accent, though. Yeah. No, I do, too. So who's with us? You've got a sense of suspense. Uh, Ian, you were. So, Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you get your lovely accents <laughs> and uh, tell about how you got started on this topic that we're going to talk about today and tell them what the topic is. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you uh, for having me, Jeremy and Sharon. I'm flattered to be invited uh, on such a big <laughs> podcast and I hope I can talk about something interesting for your listeners. So I'm from England, as you intimated, um, <laughs> but been in the States for a long time, um, since the 80s, mm-hmm. trained in England as a nurse, worked as a nurse for several years here, and then became an anesthetist in 95, mm-hmm. and spent most of my career as a clinician, West Coast, Midwest, North Carolina, and then recently, or more recently, became involved in academics at Western Carolina University, Yes, and I've kind of slowly worked my way up to program director now which i've been doing for the last couple of years i've always been interested in policy politics and economics and when i decided to go back to school to do my education i I went to unc charlotte to do a health services research phd which is a little unusual for anesthetists but i felt it would give me a really good broad uh, approach to healthcare in general in the u.s why I'm interested in economics related to anesthesia specifically and, in, and really the anesthesia care team and delivery of care is what I want to talk about most today is because I have practiced for a long time in Asheville and in Asheville uh, we have a pretty collegiate relationship with our anesthesiologists where there's good autonomy of CRNAs and I kind of wondered how it was that they were running this practice with um seemed to be fewer anesthesiologists. And I, mm-hmm. I came to realize that they were using a different billing model than the medical direction that I had a little understanding of. So that's what started my interest in this whole QZ team thing. I'd like to go ahead and talk a little bit about that, sure. if that's okay at yes. this point. Yeah. So a lot of people just see a care team and they just assume it's medical direction or they mm-hmm. don't know anything at all about billing. I think it's important to realize that the team is not something that's been around forever. I mean, when anesthesia started the turn of the century, the 20th century, it was individual providers. It was nurse mm-hmm. anesthetists. It was anesthesiologists doing their own thing. It stayed that way for a long time, really until after the Second World War is when you started to see the rise of this concept of a team. And people might say, well, well, why did that come about? And I mean, I suppose we, we can't say 100% for sure, but what we can say is that it, health insurance, which didn't exist until the 30s and 40s, really took off after the Second World War. And there's a lot of complex tax reasons why health mm-hmm. insurance became off of my employers. But once that really started to take off, there was a way in which anesthesiologists could make more income if they were supervising or involved in care with nurse anesthetists. So previously, they took care of one patient, they got the money for that care, and that's all they got. Now they had this idea, well, if I took care of 
two, three, four, five, ten patients by supervising a nurse anesthetist, I would get some income from each one of those cases. So there's an economic imperative for them to make more money by doing this supervision. This is shocking. You know? I, mean, I just totally can't believe this. So. <laughs> I know, but I mean, this is intriguing because I've never really given a lot of thoughts. Well, I didn't think about to, the insurance side. That's very well, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, what he was alluding to about insurance really took off mm-hmm. after World War II is yeah. because employers needed workers and they were trying to get workers there and so they incentivized them by saying hey i'll pay for your health care insurance and it became a benefit and all of that was after world war ii yeah Yeah. and so you got to give the the mds uh, mdas kudos because they recognized what was happening (laughs) in the united states and figured out how to capitalize on it that's pretty smart and ian you know this is i mean you know ultimately you know we were talking to sandy and nancy earlier and Mm -hmm. ultimately i mean all the fighting and infighting between anesthesiologists and CRNAs, and, and not necessarily at the, the, the local level, yeah. bedside level. It's more at the you know the upper levels of association and so forth. But ultimately, it boils down to money. And you know, now what you're describing, it makes a whole lot of sense why mm-hmm. the anesthesia care team model is the predominant billing model. I mean. That's very interesting. I've never heard it quite put I like, like that. that. Yeah. I like the way you, you phrase that. <laughs> I really do. So basically, you just told us why the anesthesia care team is the predominant model for billing. Because yeah. it's lucrative for somebody. <laughs> well, you know, I would, I would love to get paid, you know, for four people doing my job. Well, I think if you look at... Uh, you want you four of me because I'm your secretary. <laughs> I, I, I should say as an academic that that's an idea. I can't okay. say for sure. Right. That sure, is. No, sure. We get it. We and get certainly it. Yeah. there, uh, you know, my anesthesiologist colleagues would say there are concerns of safety and that's why they got involved. Uh, and blah. Listen, listen, <laughs> well, I, I have always <laughs> said whenever you hear the yeah. word safety, look for the dollar sign. Yeah. yeah. But what I did want to say was what's interesting is if you think about it that way and how insurance developed and mm-hmm. reimbursement developed, right. what happened in the 70s and 80s, healthcare costs took off, you know, in general across right. the country, and Congress was looking for ways to sort that out. We're like, wait, we can't be paying this kind of money on healthcare. And so what they did was they started bringing in rules, and one of which we know in anesthesia was the TEFRA rules of 1982 mm-hmm. for medical direction. Right. And the reason they did it was because there were some anesthesiologists, not all, but some that were really abusing the, the concept of supervision. Mm-hmm. And they were you know, just not even in the building, perhaps, when they were claiming money for supervision. Oh, that was happening that when never I happened. got out of school. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Right. Now, does it? No. Well, <laughs> they, they truly were not in the building. No, they literally they might not be in yeah. the Gosh. state. Oh, wow. That's um, yeah. But now, you know, they're supposed to be there somewhere right, somewhere in the hospital but Within when a, you ask them what that means and they say it can't be defined by time nor space <laughs> well that's a whole nother podcast yeah, thing but you know you also mentioned you know kind of qz and yeah. you know a lot of our listeners i mean on the billing side of things i think your average crna out there really doesn't, doesn't. know this stuff sure. so why don't we spend a few minutes maybe if you're comfortable with that talking about qz yeah. and why maybe 
even the model you mentioned earlier, yeah. they had kind of switched over to that. What's right. what's the theory behind that? Sure. So QZ billing, what QZ is, is a modifier that when you submit an anesthesia bill, you have to put modifiers to describe how you're delivering the care, whether it's a medical direction model or independent. And QZ is the modifier for an independent CRA that technically it says non-medically directed CRNA. Right. So that was set up in 1986, which your previous podcasters, uh, the Nancys had a lot of role in developing mm-hmm. independent billing for CRNAs. So when, when that was won in 86, <coughs> the modifier was, was QZ, and that was for CRNAs working alone without an anesthesiologist involved at all. However, what we found uh, in the 2010s was that as reimbursement started to go down, it started to get harder and harder to make money with medical direction. And also, people started to worry about complying with these TEFRA rules, which are quite onerous. There are seven very strict rules mm-hmm. that you have to be compliant with to be medically directed, well, reimbursed. And I'm glad yeah. you mentioned TEFRA there. So yeah. QZ came out in 86, and right. TEFRA was... 82. 82. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So anyway, so if you think before recently you had independent CRNAs, you had medically directed CRNAs, or independent anesthesiologists, and that was essentially how it worked. Well, you get to the 2010s, now we've got less money, We've got groups that are worried about compliance. And a very good study that was done in 2012 by Epstein and colleagues said that if you look at compliance with the medical direction rules, once you get over one to two, 100% of the days we are out of compliance. In other words, if you're Mm -hmm. supervising three nurse anesthetists or four nurse anesthetists in a medical direction model, Hmm. you will not comply with those rules. So you're technically Medicare fraud at that point. So groups are faced this, this problem that in order to make money, they need to direct four anesthetists. Right. Because once it gets down to one to two, they're not going to really be able to make as much money. And so they've got to make more money, but they can't comply with these rules. So I don't know who had this epiphany, but somebody did that, wait, what if we build for our CRNAs delivering the care? We worked in the same way, the same fashion, but we bill for our CRNAs. In a QZ modified, the CRNA gets 100% of the, of the bill, which is the same as medical direction when the physician gets 50% and the CRNA gets 50%. So yeah. it's just kind of a technicality, follow the lady. But We're now, kind of moving the cups around. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. now instead of we're splitting it, you're getting the money, but that's okay because you work for me because I own the group. There you go. And when you work for the group, you sign your billing rights. Isn't that me. funny? It just seems to me like control. Mm, snap. Oh, oh. Well, I want to go back. <laughs> you know, we're talking about medical direction and Defining medical direction is whenever it's one anesthesiologist and what one, two, three, up to four, four CRNAs. CRNAs or AAs, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. Yeah. But you know, all of these terms are billing terms, and the term supervision really makes the hair of, on our <coughs> neck stand up. But truly, oh, why? why? Why wouldn't well, a CRNA like somebody to yeah, supervise? But them, this is the know? this is the interesting thing. <laughs> Medical direction doesn't seem to sound as onerous, but that's a more restrictive piece yeah. of our practice because hmm. then it's one to one, one to two, one to three, one to four. Gotcha. Supervision is QZ. But yet we supposedly have more freedom under supervision than medical direction. So the terminology, it is totally opposite of what you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that odd? Because those are just financial terms, medical direction, supervision, Mm. and how their reimbursement is. The definition of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's funny because, you know, when you said that, the first thing that popped in my head is, is most CRNAs that I know don't like being told what to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So whenever you say supervise. And you know a lot of CRNAs. I, yeah. I do, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm married to one. So, yeah. you know, when I tell her what to do, she doesn't like yeah. it. I have to, what yeah. I've learned is how to reframe it to there get her to do you you are what I want her man. to do, but not tell her. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and actually she's doing that to you the whole time. You well, just don't know that, it. That's just uh, Let me uh, tell you, if our <laughs> listeners want to get a good history about reimbursement overall in healthcare and looking at how insurance has come to be an important player. There's a book called The Social Transformation of oh, American yeah. Medicine that I was required to read <laughs> yeah. whenever I was at Paul Yale. Saw. And yeah. it is excellent hmm. and it's mind boggling and eye opening. Yeah. Is it good bedtime reading? Well, you'll go to sleep. You have to have a little bit of stimulation somewhere. They have a Cliff Notes version yeah. of that that um, I can study really quick. Maybe, so. but I listen to the audio book. But it, um, it's something that can help if you're yeah. more interested in this conversation. If you're like Ian and this is really your thing. Right? Yeah, so. exactly. No, I had to read it also from my policy yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a very good book. It oh, is. Yeah. It's yeah. a big book. Yeah. It's a big book. But so how is this going to affect the future of nurse anesthesia with people more going towards the QZ team billing modifier that you've talked about? What does it mean? Well, let me just throw in one other piece (coughs) to the equation. So if you think back to what I was saying with the 2000 teens and, you know, a lot of people are employed by either private groups or there's a private group of physicians and then this CRNA is a hospital employed. Right. But now they're wanting to move to this QZ model. Well, if you move to a QZ model and the CRNAs are hospital employed, that would mean the CRNAs got 100% of the income and the physicians got zero. So that's a problem. So, mm-hmm. uh, so a group that's like that is, is going to have a hard time going to that model because right. they can't. So now they're really kind of stuck. But what we've seen in the last 10 years or so is this huge consolidation of employers. Mm-hmm. So and that could be either hospitals taking over groups, mm-hmm. or right. which we've seen here in Asheville, and we've yeah. seen that in Charlotte at Atrium. And in Winston or, now. Yeah, yeah. In Winston. Or it could be like a, a Somnier or a, a Napper or okay. these other groups right. that are taking over these smaller groups that, you know, Sharon and mm-hmm. I grew up with in our early days in anesthesia. Yes. Yeah. And now once they own the group and they own the CRNAs and the physicians, then this problem of should we goes do medical away. direction or QZ goes away. They own all the billing. All the billing is going to one place. <coughs> gotcha. So that allows QZ to become a much more viable option mm-hmm. for employers moving forward. And then, then the other piece to it is if you just try to broaden out and think about healthcare in general and this crisis of healthcare spending, which is, you know, ongoing since forever. But I mean, as I was talking about recently, you know, we are 18% of GDP. You're talking about the Medicare going bust. I mean, we, yeah. we cannot afford to keep spending money the same way. Right. We have accountable care organizations now that are trying to figure out how to be more efficient with money. And if you only have X amount of dollars, and I, I'm 100% sure... That's the way we'll be soon. It'll be you coming for your gallbladder. Yeah. You get $10,000 and you, you guys can fight it out the rest yourselves you. between the surgeon, the OR, the floors, and you work it out. So yeah. whichever, whoever delivers the care safely, efficiently, and cheaply yes. is going to be the winner. Right. And I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that has got to be the model of the future. What reminds me of a podcast we did yesterday with Corinne. Yes. And, you know, she's over in, where was she? Iraq. Iraq. And they've got a medical director there. Yeah. And they have a scarcity of supplies, obviously, scarcity of providers. Mm-hmm. Scarcity of blood. <laughs> of blood in this case. And yeah. the medical director walks in and says, we've given this patient, you know, four units of blood. Are they viable? Mm-hmm. 
And if they're not, that's no all blood. you get. That's yeah. it. No more blood. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and not that we want the U.S. model to come like that, but there's yeah. going to be some semblance of that. I mean, right. you, you cannot continue to have an unlimited amount of dollars chasing healthcare. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Ian, I think whoever is the most efficient in the end and safe and delivers yeah. quality care, yeah. that's the model that's going to win. And, and every study I've ever read mm-hmm. um, says that, relate this back to, to nurse anesthesia and anesthesia in general, says that CRNAs are safe. You yeah. know, it's a safe way to give yeah. anesthetics at a much lower cost than the care team model, mm-hmm. than the AA model, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or than the MD sitting in the at the head of the bed and, and pushing the drugs themselves, which mm-hmm. is not going to happen. It's not yeah. efficient. So, again, I'm not trying to say there's not a place and it doesn't make sense. I think it does to a certain extent. But economically, as these things roll downhill, especially from Washington, mm-hmm. um, What's that going to look like? And I, I kind of set you up for you know another bullet point here. What is the the future of nurse anesthesia, nurse anesthesiology, anesthesia in general? What does that look like in your opinion, Ian? I don't think we're going to see anesthesiologists going away. And I, I, don't, no. I wouldn't wish for that. I no, mean, absolutely I'm, not. I'm, I'm perf- There's I'm, enough work for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've never worked as an independent provider except on a mission. I've only worked with in teams. But yeah. the key is the flexibility. Right. right. And, the, and whether that's to do with ratios, you know, one MD with five, six, four, two, or whether it's to do with skills. That's another thing that's really or important. Or patient acuity. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, but I do think even coming back to that, I totally agree. There's mm. definitely places for anesthesiologists. Absolutely. Yeah. Do they yeah. make a difference? They do. But I think what we're going to see is anesthesiologists aren't going to be making the income mm-hmm. that they're currently making. And that scares the hell out of them. And sure. I don't blame them. No, I don't. I don't blame them. Not yeah. at all. Y- you know, and if you're 55 years old, you want to squeeze all the juice you can out of this thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're 32 and just got out of residency and you've got 400000 in debt, right? you see this coming as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot continue to pay that when it doesn't make economic sense. Right. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. I have another question of you, Ian, and this is not the focus of this podcast, but you have an unusual perspective because you're from a country that has socialized medicine. Yeah. And do you want to make any comment or have I put you on the spot uh, <laughs> relative to that? I mean, you know that system and now yeah, you know you our do. system. Yeah, that's good. Good point. That's an interesting question because it's sort of strange because you would think that a socialized system which is, believe me, trying to minimize costs at every possible opportunity. Absolutely. Would love to have lots of 
APRNs working in the system, and yet they don't have they any don't. nurse anesthetists. So it's an interesting intersection of policy mm-hmm. and, and economics in that in that in um, England. The anesthetists, which right. is what they call right. physician anesthesiologists, right. even though they're changing their name yeah, yeah. to anesthesiologists, so they they run the show and they have uh, been very tough on restricting any nurses entering the profession. They had a brief uh, kind of flurry of AA type practitioners uh, about twenty years ago, but they kind of got rid of that. That's sort of actually one of my pipe dream things that maybe I would be in England starting up a nurse anesthesia program <laughs> well, before I retire. Well, <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of surprised yeah, you yeah, didn't go down yeah, this path yeah, with yeah, your educational process yeah. the way that you so enjoy policy yeah, because yeah. you know, Ian was or you're still our FPD in North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, that's right. So you know, that's yeah. his yeah, jam. That. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind well, of surprised I, you didn't go down that path. I'm glad you went down this one yeah. though, but you I know, can see you going down that again. Yeah. I guess the other thing that I you know I think about in that social system is you know what does the average anesthetist make mm-hmm. in oh. England compared to oh, that's a good question I, I really don't know the exact answer my guess would be I mean physicians you know GPS in England make <laughs> I think about a hundred thousand pounds which is about a hundred and forty thousand dollars yeah. yeah and I actually when I talk in general about economics when we try to explain how the US system is so expensive one of the more recent ideas, which is actually fairly well researched and backed up, is that the reason our system is more expensive is because we pay people so much. <laughs> that so is true. At, if you look That's at not just physicians, but nurses as well, and nurse anesthetists as well. So. I just looked it up. Oh, you looked it up? What's it say? 91,000 pounds. 91,000 pounds. If you're in the 90th percentile, yeah. 248,000 pounds. So that's $300,000, give or take. And what the is the average... End. Yeah. Anesthesiologists make in the United States. Oh uh, well, that's it's about two eighty seven. Last time that I I really looked, <coughs> that's the average. So that means yeah. so that means at least fifty percent of them of that, yeah. so make that. That's that's very interesting. So again, it goes back to what we said earlier. You know that model can work, yeah. but one, <laughs> there's not enough, and and two. You've got to bring that salary and income down, and that that would scare me if I was an MD out there giving yeah. anesthesia well, right I now. Mean, I get and I'm it. sure the ASA has all those statistics, and they probably pump that out to their membership. And you know, I said that the ASA does a great job at you know developing emotion in their membership, yes, whereas we, we on this so side, good. it's not so good. But anyway, I well, the other thing, and whenever you were giving your lecture yesterday at the meeting, you were talking about outcomes versus amount of money spent you mm-hmm. would you care to address that are you talking generally yes for the US? generally for the u.s and yeah. if you know anything about yeah. the socialized sure. part of the uk right uh, feel free to drop that bomb too <laughs> <laughs> well as, as i said we i mean in the u.s we spend about 18 percent of gdp and we're way we're way above everybody else mm-hmm. in the, U, the uk it's about eight percent of gdp eight wow. wow so it's significantly less what we spend. That's crazy. Um, and when we look at, I mean, high-level policy people look at outcomes for population. What they tend to look at is mortality, perinatal mortality, maternal mor- mortality, morbidity. And if you look at any of those outcomes, this, we see the same thing over and over again. We spend a lot of money and we don't get very good outcomes. And yesterday I had a, a, a ton of graphs, which obviously mm-hmm. doesn't work very well for a podcast. But I mean, essentially... If you look at life expectancy, you would expect the more money you spend per capita, right. the longer people would live. But if you look at the graph, 
if you look at the graph for most Western democracies, you see that kind of line going up the way you'd expect when you look at the US, it's pretty flat. So we're spending lots of money, but we're not getting much increase in life expectancy. Tells me there's a lot of corruption in the system somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you it's a very complex issue. And it's it's not that simple. It's really not that simple. To, no, to, to, it's no. But, the, it's but not. you do see that recurring with, with maternal mortality, with infant mortality, spending a lot of money. And not like we're spending a lot of money for incremental improvement. We're not even right. really getting that improvement. And we're worse than other countries wow. that spend less money, you know, the UK mm-hmm. included. So, it, you know, any, we need to look for, and really, if you look at healthcare policy at the, at the federal level, that's what they're doing. I mean, they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how can we spend less money and get the same right. outcomes. And they're trying to tie outcomes a lot to, to money. So with the cannibal care organizations, any savings that the organization makes, half of the savings go back to the provider and half goes back to the federal government when you look at CMS, mm-hmm. which is a good, I mean, I think a good idea because it incentivizes, incentivizes people to do it. Yeah. But the only issue is, as I was telling people yesterday, is you may not know that's even going on. Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're going to work you're in your anesthesia department. You don't know you're part of a cannibal care organization. So number one, find out if you are. And if you are, who's making those decisions right. about what are the metrics for quality? Mm-hmm. And, and when you achieve mm-hmm. those metrics... How do, who Where's gets the money that money? Going? <laughs> Where is it going? So, uh, yeah. you know, this is a new thing for us. And yet again, another reason for something you've been, you said for many years, like many other leaders, that we have to have a seat at the table. And in this case, we're talking mm-hmm. about the, the hospital table. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. making those decisions? And outcomes for anesthesia is a tough one because there aren't many good outcomes. Now, for my dissertation work, I compared QZ team with medical direction and independent providers. It's really, really tough to find outcomes. I was listening to a speaker today talking about PSIs, which is an AHRQ composite indicator. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. You pull it from multiple DRGs, and you can. it's supposed <coughs> to say you know, if you're doing a good job or not. But those aren't even very well correlated with outcomes that we see in the clinical area either. So right. other than people dying, which, as you always say, <laughs> doesn't mm-hmm. happen very much, mm-hmm. um, we don't have very many good quality indicators, and we need, like, the next generation of researchers or me if, before I keel over to start thinking about how can we mm-hmm. measure the care we give. We've got to be able to tell the boardroom, this is why we're doing a good job. Right. And this is why you need and to you, use like, it. And like you said, Sharon always says, you got to have a seat at the table. I mean, it, it makes me think of several hospital systems where, you know, in the system, the CRNAs were segregated from the anesthesiologists. And then all of a sudden, CRNAs are under the anesthesiologist and the anesthesiologists are pulling the strings behind well Ian what you just said makes a whole lot of sense because then that money comes in they're in control of the money in mm-hmm. the in the kitty there and your CRNAs don't know the difference they, right. don't, they don't know that yeah. so that's interesting and I think that they're uh, the anesthesiologists smartly are positioning themselves you know to be involved in yeah, cannibal care absolutely. organizations because they know that this is money and not just from the money point of view I think you know, what you're saying about salary totally makes sense. Right. I mean, it makes sense to anybody, but also just Control. Your, your your job. I mean, like, yeah. w- what is my position going to be right. if I'm not doing that? Well, maybe it's going to be a coordinator of care, and, and maybe that mm-hmm. could be legitimate, you know, that that's what they're going to do, do more overseeing stuff. Well, CRNAs are doing clinical anesthesia. I don't know at this point. Or research, but, or, you know, yeah. I mean, which used to be a big thing for yeah. anesthesiologists. But so. the point is, just like everything, <coughs> we really need to know as CRNAs, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and how are we defining these, what's successful and what's not successful. All right, so I'm going to go back. So what do you think the, the future looks like? Okay. We're going to pontificate <laughs> yeah. here, yeah. you know, what, what do you think? What you are know? some solutions? Now, 
you know, I think that CRNAs are the solution. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but but uh, there's going to be I, such a fight for that. Right. So yeah, let's I'm see biased. what Ian thinks. Cause uh, I think that you're going to see more and more CRNA-driven care in smaller settings like GI clinics, plastics offices, smaller right. hospitals, yeah, we're rural hospitals. That, I think. Like, because they're, number one, they can't even get maybe anesthesiologists who want to come and do that. But number two, a cost factor, which we've already talked about, right. uh, ad nauseum. And I think in the... The larger settings, like, you know, whether that's a tertiary center like Duke or whether it's a sort of large community hospital like Mission. Right. I think you'll see more and more of this QZ, whatever you want to call it, but loose supervision. Right. When people are flexible. Yeah. When, you know, like, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go work with this CRNA. We're doing a complex cardiac case and the, and the CRNA who's doing other things will just be doing their own thing because it's, they don't need an extra pair of hands. Or, right. Or I'm tied up putting in a block. I'm an anesthesiologist. You're an experienced CRNA. You go help that person with that AAA that just came in. Mm. You know, Or you're free. Yeah. You go put the inoscaling block in over there, Mr. or Mrs. CRNA, you know, because you know how to do it. And that's how we deliver quality care to the mm. institution. Yeah, you know? I would challenge you to think this is already happening. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, well, I because think I think yeah. it, it just happens organically yeah. because – I think truly at the bedside, people go where they are needed. And I'll give you an example. I have just gone back to work in a hospital setting after 16 years. Mm -hmm. Just a few days a week, I'm contract working at this little hospital, 150-bed hospital, which, by the way, has been a great experience for me, even though it was quite terrifying to begin with to look at the new gas machines and everything and how it looks like a, a cockpit to an airplane. But I had kind of a really sick patient roll in, and they are like bees. <laughs> they all just descended because it's, you know, a, four operating rooms, one cysto suite, and everybody knows. So the ologists, the CRNAs, they all work together, and they knew I was getting this patient mm-hmm. whose blood pressure was 60, the bowel was perfed. Right. We needed to get in, all of that. And I swear to God, it was like a beehive. So, you know, there were, there was a C-section suite running, uh, endo suites running, and the other operating rooms, but everybody went to where they needed to be. So I would challenge you to think that this is truly what's happening, but the billing model's not caught up with that. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I think it is happening to some extent already, which is, you know, why we're seeing... No one really knows, by the way, which I didn't mention, nobody really knows how much QZ team building there is because there is no modifier that mm-hmm. shows you this is a CRNA working independently right. versus, oh, no, this is a CRNA billing in a team model. It's mm-hmm. the same modifier, mm. and that's what I focus my research on, trying it's to figure out how to, which was complex and hasn't been done before, and I, it's tough to know if it's 100% accurate, but mm-hmm. with my numbers which were from Medicare data in 2013, I was getting about 11% of all anesthetics were QZ team models. And that, so, okay. which ANA has mm-hmm. looked at this data before and they've not really talked about it much, but they've seen that there's this slice of QZ, which was obviously more than the number of CRNAs working independently. Right. And they couldn't really, but well, nobody knows exactly yeah. which is which. So, hmm. so yeah, it, it's, we this don't is know why that. outcomes data is hard to pull right. because the only way you can pull data is through reimbursement claims, mm, yeah. and it's hard to figure out what the exact model is. Number one, there's a lot of fraud in the system, and I, you know, there's fraud in the system just 
because of the way things are. <laughs> you can't meet right. the seven rules of TEFRA. But if we only have billing data, we don't really know what's happening. Right. Who's really given the anesthetic? Right. I yeah. mean, we have a pretty doggone good right. idea, right. but we can't, we can't quantify that. That's why our outcomes data is problematic. Yeah, Did that no. make sense there? Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And I also want to build on something you were saying about how this is really happening already, which I think you're right, but I think... The other thing that's really changing is where this shift in focus towards patient-centered outcomes. I mean, no, I'm saying that wrong. Like what patients think of their care. You know, oh, like oh the surveys yeah. and yeah, yeah. those and kind so, of metrics, which don't get me started on that. And but. so like we, you know, we, we're doing more regional anesthesia in general across the country, but it's very spotty, you yeah. know, how it's getting done and multimodal, sort of a little bit spotty. It's sort of getting there, but it's not quite there. But we need to do regional anesthesia more to get these high quality outcomes from patients who are going to say, wow, I didn't, I didn't have any pain. I felt great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I went home two hours later. And if you only have mm-hmm. five providers who can do that because you say only physicians can do it, that could really hurt you, you yeah. know, in terms yeah, of good. quality right. outcomes. Oh. And so, yes, That's a good point. it's happening already. But if we want to really improve that quality, and believe me, the guys in the C-suite, they're looking at that stuff very closely. <laughs> wow. Like, it's not, it's length of stay, of course, is a big one, but quality of care what do the patients think about us in the community that's important hmm. no so, it really is that's that's another good point yeah yeah well you know i think also we've got this current employer-based healthcare system and yeah. you know insurance. obviously insurance excuse me insurance system but you know it, but it does ultimately mean health well but that, yeah. that would be um, true but i i guess i'm yeah. just sensitive because i'm on COVID. yeah that's true yeah. <laughs> okay but you know i mean obviously there's there's problems with that mm-hmm. and you want to maybe address or tackle a couple of those yeah sure so i mean the employer-based system as we talked about arose really around the second world war and, and where right. it actually started was in the Second World War, employers wanted to pay more money because it was a worker shortage. Right. They couldn't. So they started offering health insurance and the government said they could do it tax-free. That's it. And it's yep. stayed tax-free ever since. Yep. It's a huge incentive for employers to do it and for em- employees for that matter too because mm-hmm. they don't have to oh, yeah. pay tax on it. That's about but the only it, way you can give something to an employee and right. it not be taxable to them and take a tax deduction. Right. So. But the problem is what about the people that don't have employer-offered insurance? And if right. you want to cover, <laughs> cover your whole population which was a problem we were at before the Affordable Care Act, that we yep. had about 90%, uh, sorry, about 83% coverage, I think, of the population. 17% mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. health insurance at all. Yep. We are, we're, way behind, we're behind still now compared to the rest of the world. If you have an employer-based system, you're kind of stuck with that. You've got right. the employees and you've got the people who are poor, and I mean really, really poor, because to qualify for Medicaid, you make 16000 a year in right. North Carolina. That's nothing. Right. nothing. And then you've got the people who, who just don't have any health insurance and they won't buy it. So, yeah. Did I answer the question? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> definite definite yeah. problems with that. I mean, okay. that system yeah. and, and how does it change moving forward? I mean, you've incentivized employers to do it. You set up this massive, massive system. Yeah. So how do you change that moving forward yeah. except for 
socialized medicine. <laughs> I mean, that's and, you know, right. that's what the Affordable Care Act is all right. about. I mean, it was the yeah. first salvo for, well, I guess Medicare was first salvo. Right. This is the second salvo, but how do you change well, that I, system? I, actually, yeah, thank you. I was getting off track there, so thanks for refocusing me. I don't think, uh, and I know I've been in America long enough to know you don't mention the word socialist in this country. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> or socialized. It's not dinner but time I talk. <laughs> but I don't think that, I think you do have to face two options. Why, either, yes, you're going to stay on this private insurance road. Right. Or you're going to go towards some kind of socialized medicine, expansion of Medicare, whatever. I'm not going to really myself weigh on one side or the other. Right, but I right. would say is <clears throat> if you want to stick with the private insurance system, the Affordable Care Act is not really socialized medicine. It is a way to try to support that private system. And it's right. really, it is. It's, it's a really, hybrid. Yeah. It's really important that people remember, and especially Republicans, that this came from a Republican governor. He set this up, Bitch Romney in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. and he it was did. successful back there. And that was the idea, was to take this model. In fact, I think really Obama sort of compromised with what he probably wanted to do, something more left-wing yeah, and more socialized. And let's try to create this system where we prop up the insurance we allow people to buy into the insurance system, which is similar to how other Euro some other European countries do it as well. Right. And that way, we improve the coverage of the population, which we're way behind everybody else. And we potentially allow more people to be able to buy insurance because we subsidize the cost of it. So that was the idea, right. the Affordable right. Care Act. But unfortunately, it's become such a partisan issue that, that people just wow. they just can't seem to think about it at right. all now. It's so left versus COVID. right. So we're now kind of <laughs> yeah. stuck between a rock and a hard place between this insurance system that's sort of on the edge of imploding. Yeah. And nobody wants to go to, well, at least one half or one third of the population would go to socialized medicine. Yeah. And the other people are against it. And you, you see it right. all the time when you see people, you know, who are very Republican, which is fine. <clears> and they say, I hate Obamacare. But they have insurance through healthcare.gov. Right. So there's this right. sort of... You know, well, you know, I mean, it goes back to a lot of, lot of stuff in our country. I mean, everything the politicians want to divide yeah. because when they divide, <laughs> they win. But you're exactly right. I, I agree that the ACA is kind of more of a hybrid and you've got to have some answer. I mean, yeah. the Republican, Democrat, yeah. you know, whatever, somebody needs an answer to this big, huge, costly system that, like you said, is not producing better results. Right. And so what that's going to look like, it's going to take something imploding and, <laughs> you know, they're just going to have to do something and some politician's going to take the rap for it, you know. I mean, yeah. that's what it's going to come down to. I, I think um, the Affordable Care Act is viable as a way forward for this country. I, I think we can do that, but we've got to get in we got to get in bed with it and say, okay, yeah. this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Let's get one foot in and one yeah. foot out. Let, and and, the, and yeah. interestingly, the universal <laughs> mandate which was the, the piece of the Affordable Care Act that requires that everybody gets insurance, which is you know, very unpopular with independent-minded Americans, which is a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah. very unpopular, um, but critical, at least in theory, right. to support insurance plans because you can't have people who are young and healthy who are like, well, I think I'm going to bother with that, opting out of insurance and leaving behind all the older folk <laughs> right. <laughs> right. with exactly. their medical problems yeah. because otherwise then the market spirals <clears throat> the out of control. Work. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, those things we have to come to terms with those. Now, getting rid of the individual mandate, interestingly, didn't result in collapse of the marketplace, which a lot of insurers predicted it would. Absolutely. Um, and so did and they what charged is it, for the Congressional. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. But, but I think did. they're finding that that model is working. And I mean, premiums actually come down from yeah. what I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, I mean, how it works in the future. I think as we kind of wrap up here and conclude, you know, what I'm hearing you say, and in conclusion, is the healthcare system needs 
cRNAs dramatically. We're seeing this great <laughs> shortage out there. Mm-hmm. And the future is probably pretty bright. good, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the future is very bright for cRNAs and, and APRNs in general. Yeah. Because I think as we try, as we move more and more towards bundling of care and right. trying to, you know, lump sums and we have to try to provide all the services, whatever system that can provide that service in a more efficient, safe, and less costly manner is going to be the system that's successful. And right. so, you know, we know, it's intuitively obvious, but we know from research also that using more CRNAs, not without anesthesiologists necessarily, but with fewer anesthesiologists, is, is safe and right. efficient. So I think that makes for a very bright future for CRNAs. And I think the re- one of the reasons we're seeing a shortage of CRNAs is because at the same time as people are retiring, as predicted, we're also seeing organizations expand or wanting to expand Right. The use of CRNAs as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. exactly. I agree. And that's yeah. a whole nother exactly. a whole nother episode, Ian. So Maybe we'll have to have <laughs> you back and talk <laughs> about that. So. so keep flexible and you know, be what you can be. And I yeah. think if you do that, the future. All right. Of CRNAs we have a new yeah. we have a new slogan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, be all you can be. Be what you can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, well Ian, we're gonna go we're gonna move to something that Sharon has coined the lightning round. Oh yeah. Then we're going to ask you a few questions just so our listeners get to know you a little bit better. And Sharon, okay, I'll I'll kick it off. If you could have another profession, Ian, what would it be? I put, uh, I thought, writer or maybe economist. Not surprisingly, I like that. that. Didn't fall far on that tree. Not sure they would have me, but anyway. (laughs) All right. So, what are you grateful for right now? Well, it's kind of cliche, but I'm grateful for the health of my family. I mean, Absolutely. right now, the way things have been in this country, it's been scary. That's my my wife, not cliche. My <laughs> wife is a nurse. She was worked on the COVID ICU, mm. and now she works in the ER. And so I'm just glad that she, knock on wood, has not been sick. So. Yeah. yeah. So what's your superpower? That I left blank. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I said I don't have one. <laughs> That's what I, uh, yeah, so. I think Wish you I have did. one. Yeah. I think you have one. Yeah. Looking at health policy, yeah. I think, is, is a superpower of yours and seeing a bigger yeah. picture. I do mm-hmm. think that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I got to end on this one. But if you won the lottery, what would you I do? I know Ian? you love that question. Oh, uh, well, no, I'm an ex socialist, so I put. I'd probably give it away because I make enough money anyway. So. An ex-socialist. So does, uh, does this Good. mean Just you're Just don't a forget about Sharon and yeah, I, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, so does this mean you're a capitalist now? It's like a hybrid model. A hybrid model. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, My children would say I'm a full-on capitalist because uh-huh. they're left-wing like I was. When well, I was you know, I, I, yeah, I know, well, I know a lot of people age in, in, in the UK, and I, you know, I can't say that they're all socialists. There's plenty yeah, of capitalists in, definitely in are. the UK. Yeah. So, yeah. well, Ian, thank you, thank you for yeah. being on. Hopefully, you had a good time, and uh, we appreciate all your knowledge and input, and all you do to help nurse anesthetists, nurse anesthesiologists, whatever we're going to call ourselves these days to be better and and what you're doing with the students and uh, you're making an impact. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. I want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us, Sharon, how can they help us out a little bit? Well, they can like us, subscribe to us, share us, but most of all, leave us a review because that pushes us up in the rankings. Yeah, we just learned this, but but wait a minute, leave us a positive. There's enough negativity in the world. There you go. All right. Until next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? 
You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out BeyondTheMaskPodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.